Rise and shine, you Syracuse superfans. It's time to pour yourself a tall, delicious glass of orange fizz. Syracuse recruiting news, insider information, latest SU buzz. The Syracuse blogosphere comes to life on the central New York airwaves. It's Fizz Radio. Welcome into Fizz Radio. Jaron May here with Matt Bonaparte. Thank you so much for spending your Saturday morning with us. You can go follow all of our content on our website, orangefizz.net. Follow us on Twitter at orangefizz. And now that we've got that out of the way, let's give you a quick rundown of our show. We are joined right now, and we're kind of changing up this whole Fizz Radio format. We actually have a special guest in A Block. We have Tim Leonard, a former Fizzer, Fizzer, and now the host of the Locked On Orange podcast. Uh, he's going to be breaking down the Pitt game, or rather the North Carolina game with us. Then Matt and I will be talking about the recruiting class of 2021. Then we'll be joined by Alan Sanders of Pittsburgh Sports Now to talk about the Pitt game coming up. And of course, we'll get to your Fizz feedback. So before we get to all of that down the line, let's first start with Tim. And Tim, let's welcome you in. How you doing, man? Welcome, uh, welcome back to Fizz Radio. This is it's awesome. This is second time in three weeks. I think I've been back on the Fizz Radio airwaves. So I hope someone out there is like, oh, I kind of remember that guy and his crappy takes from a couple years ago. So it's good to be back. Good, good. Well, glad to have you back. If you want to go check out all of Tim's audio content, go check out the Lockdown Orange podcast. Uh, they have daily Syracuse sports podcasts. Him and also another Orange Fizz alumni, uh, Tyler Aki, is also a co-host on that podcast. So go check them out. But Tim, we have you on today because you were one of very few people to actually be at North Carolina and at the Syracuse versus UNC game last Saturday. So we brought you on as a little expert. Um, first off, just how was it? What was it like in an empty stadium and with no fans? Yeah, I don't know how many times I can say the word weird, but that's basically what it was. I was joking with Tyler on the podcast because that was the word of the day amongst the other few media members that were there. And we're all sitting in the press box wearing masks. And you walk into the arena and there's nowhere to be found anyone. They were testing the audio when you walk in. And it's just like a weird feel to the entire place, even more so than I was anticipating. But once the game got going, I guess because Syracuse started playing Syracuse like football too, which was Syracuse like football that we saw last year. And we've seen that offense and that O line and everything. It got more into like, yeah, this is just another game. And you kind of forgot about the crowd a little bit. And I was upstairs pretty high up and they had the windows blocked off. So I didn't hear like noticeably less noise than normal. I mean, it was a little different. But I feel like the intro and the pregame stuff felt very weird. And then once the game got going, it was not crazy different to me. That makes sense. Makes you talk sense. about hearing less, but what I've been curious about through this whole, you know, NFL season and, and now college football, do they still play like songs? Is there music at all? Um, not really. I would say the weirdest part of the entire game was when they ran out of the huddle. And UNC comes out of their tunnel because the players were trying to get into it. Like, you know, they're pumping up and down and waving up and down. Like, it just – they were trying as much as they could. But they played that hype video that you're used to seeing on the Jumbotron of UNC getting sacks right. and touchdowns and this cool music. And then they come out, and it was just like, oh, this is so 2020 right now. <laughs> like, there's just nothing to support them whatsoever. And then 
Syracuse comes out and you're used to hearing boos on the other side. That was the single weirdest moment of the game. And maybe also when the kickoff happened, because it was just like, oh, crap, like I almost missed it. Like there's the start of the season. Instead of like the crowd getting into it and oh, and then the kick goes and it's this whole big thing. Jaron May here with Matt Bonaparte on Fizz Radio. And we're joined at the start of our show with, by Tim Leonard, again, a former Orange Fizz staff writer and the host of the Locked On Syracuse podcast. Um, and we're breaking down what happened last weekend with Syracuse in North Carolina. So it was a weird atmosphere. I, I think we've said that, or that word enough. <laughs> um, but now let's kind of talk about the X's and O's. While you were there, what were you seeing? Let's start on the Syracuse side of the ball. Obviously, the offensive line struggles continued from year to now this year. Um, in person, just how bad was it? It was really bad. It was, <laughs> it was a long fourth quarter. Um, and I know you guys have been a part of those games for sure, and you know exactly what I'm talking about. It felt too much like last year for my liking as someone that just wants – to see changes at this point I mean there was a little bit of a push at the end of last year when they switched up the O-line to create some sort of light at the end of the tunnel that okay you could make a case the O-line will be better this year but once we saw some of the stuff coming out in camp I think I sort of expected it to be bad and it was still like even worse than I thought that the part that really frustrates me is it was just the same offense as last year and you bring in a new offensive coordinator in Sterling Gilbert, and I don't even really blame him necessarily because it's week one and you can't go too deep into a playbook when you don't have a ton of time to practice in camp. And it's just such a weird offseason, such a tough time for him to come over to the program. But, I mean, he, it was just the same plays as last year. And at least the defense, it was something different, right? We saw some signs of – them mixing up the, the formations and it looked like they were getting some results, some pressure on Sam Howell. It looked like they did a good job of avoiding the vertical passing game being a threat for UNC, which was a big concern on my end. But offensively, I think going forward, I just want to see changes because it's, it's one bad consistently, but it's another thing to be bad and like doing the same things over and over. I mean, every, right down to the penalties, the bad tackling on defense. It was all the same problems we had last year. And you just hope that we can get some sort of adjustments going forward. Those seven sacks have been uh, a lot of what the conversation is surrounded after week one for Syracuse. Do you think it's more about the offensive line just playing poorly? Or do you think it's a lack of pocket awareness from Tommy DeVito? So it's kind of a cop-out answer. It's a little bit of both to me but I do think more than ever in this game when I went back and like watched the film and just being there I realized that DeVito is not not up to snuff and I think last year we were a little more like a little more reluctant to blame DeVito because he was hurt for a little bit of last year we know I mean it seemed like it at least he wasn't running as much and also it was his first full year as a starter but now I feel like that leash is just completely gone to me. I mean, he's in his fourth year in the program now, and he's been playing since 2018 in pivotal moments, and he looks worse than he did in 2018. Like, I went back and watched some of the games from when he came in to play UNC in 2018, NC State in 2018 for that brief series, and he's just getting the ball out quicker in 2018. He's making better reads, making better decisions. So I would say now my – my focal point is watching DeVito more because I knew going in the offensive line was going to be a problem again, 
but there was still a part of me that was hopeful that DeVito will correct what was a bad season last year and some of his stats were good, but I mean, he's just not making quick enough reads, even when there's a clean pocket and you go back and watch it, especially on third down, he seems to get very tight and it's definitely a mental thing for him. Jaron May here with Matt Bonaparte on Fizz Radio, joined by Tim Leonard, the host of the Locked On Syracuse podcast, breaking down last weekend's game against North Carolina. Now, it was going into it, we knew it was going to be kind of a quarterback battle, a lopsided quarterback battle, because, you know, one of them is probably a Heisman hopeful and the other is named Tommy DeVito. Um, so when you look at Sam Howell, when you were watching him, at least when I was watching him on television, that first half, he kind of seemed a little flat. Their entire offense seemed flat and that Syracuse defense was really coming out of the gate strong. But then the whole second half, it was Sam Howell turned it on and then Javante Williams really got it going. What changed from the first half to the second half, whether it be, uh, UNC picking it up or Syracuse kind of dropping the ball. I really think it was just more of UNC executing. I mean, I think UNC, I talked to some UNC fans after the game, and it, it was obviously a huge spread, as I'm sure you guys talked about. And they covered the game, right? So in some cases, you think they exceeded expectations. But a lot of my friends that were UNC fans were like, yeah, I don't know if we played that good in that game. Like, I think you guys, especially in the first half, I mean, it was yeah. rough what they were doing on special teams. I mean, teams. It's, and, it should have been 17-7 at the halftime break. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, as we know, Syracuse got so many chances, and UNC was just like, here, hang in the game, hang in the game. We're giving <laughs> you this gift, and they would not take it. So I really think UNC just started playing more like the team that we all expected them to be in the second half, and then the defense got tired too. So, I mean, I think you can be cautiously optimistic about the defense. I will say, though, I feel like everyone's kind of like, jumping on the defense will be pretty good this year bandwagon because that's the only positive takeaway from this game. And there still was a lot of young linebackers making poor plays in the second half. I know they got tired, but Carolina still scored 31 points and they did nothing well in the first yeah. half. So I, I don't know if I'm all the way there on the defense is going to be good yet because remember what happened last year against Liberty, they shut out Liberty 24 and yeah, I mean, keep in mind, week one, the offense is always going to be less developed than the defense for any team, just because training camp and everything, it takes longer to get the offense going, and especially this year with how the camp lined up. So I'm still like, I, I just think this team all around has a lot of holes in it, and obviously it's more on the offensive side of the ball, but I, I'm still not all the way in on the defense either. So with Tristan Jackson leaving for the NFL last season, with him, he took 46% of the Syracuse receptions. So what does that mean for this team? I mean, it just looked like there were no offensive weapons. Taj Harris looked lost. Everybody just kind of looked lost. Just two targets to the tight ends. Where do you think most of the offense is going to run through for this team? Well, I think it's going to run through De or run through Taj Harris because DeVito, like he did last year, is just going to lock into his number one guy. I mean, we've seen that too much now. I was saying to Tyler on our podcast, if if college fantasy football, which I'm sure it is out there in some capacity, but not really, if it was a thing like to the degree that it is at the NFL level, Taj Harris would be a bargain because he's going to get so much volume this year. Syracuse is going to be down in games. They're just going to be throwing to him. I mean, 15 targets in week one, it felt like every single pass, DeVito dropped back, looked to his right, saw Taj Harris, yeah. 
either held the ball or threw it away, took a sack, or he threw it to Taj Harris. And, I mean, they don't have much chemistry still. That was very concerning to me. There were several plays where Harris was just, like, throwing up his arms, and it seemed like that was the trend last year. I, I think Taj is good. I think he could be the headline guy in this offense, but I just feel like him and DeVito, for whatever reason, can't get on the same page. And I don't know if there's any other – I thought Queeley looked pretty good. He got open a couple times. But outside of Taj, I mean, he's going to be the guy in this offense this year. And I think he's going to put up big numbers, and it's going to be more a product of DeVito just – unless he changes, just sticking to that first read. I mean, when you look at it, the Taj had 14 targets against North Carolina. Tommy DeVito threw the ball 31 times. So he got pretty much <laughs> half the targets. Um, but, hey, that's going to do it. So Syracuse lost to North Carolina last weekend. This weekend we'll be talking with Alan Sanders in just a bit to be previewing the game against Pitt. Uh, but that does it for Tim Leonard. Tim, thanks so much for hopping on Fizz Radio and uh, giving us your firsthand insight, one of the only people at that North Carolina game. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, guys, for having me. That was fun. Go check out Tim Leonard on Twitter at Tim underscore Leonard four and check out all of his content on the Locked On Syracuse podcast. Him and again, another former Orange Fizz staff writer, Tyler Aki, host that podcast. All right, coming up on Fizz Radio, Jaron and Matt, we will be breaking down the class of 2021's recruiting class. A lot of big names, a lot of big recruits. That's on the other side. Don't go anywhere. Back here on Fizz Radio, Jaron May joined by Matt Bonaparte, and we are here to break down everything that you need to know for the Syracuse recruiting class of 2021. That's football, that is. We just talked with Tim Leonard about the UNC game. We will be having another special guest in just a little bit. But before we get to that, Matt, let's talk about the class of 2021. Syracuse actually putting together quite a good recruiting class, most recently Aronde Gadsden, the second, and that is important to differentiate, the second committed to Syracuse, a three-star wide receiver. Um, I mean, He's a pretty big get for Syracuse and adds just another talented player to this class of 2021. Absolutely. And what strikes me immediately about his draft profile is that the guy is 6'4", a big, tall receiver for a Syracuse quarterback to look to downfield. He's a guy that can go up and get the ball and hopefully a guy that can kind of grow with this program in the coming years and become one of those Jamal Custis, Ambedatawo kind of guys where, you know, you can have a good receiver. Tristan Jackson mm -hmm. last year, obviously the most notable one, and this year still looking for him. I mean, Taj Harris right. was the guy that everybody thought might be, you know, the go-to receiver, but a quiet game against the Tar Heels, and now Syracuse looking for other options. Right, and it seems like he's the type of player, and like you said, because there's just such a wide open um, unit at the wide receiver position right now, he could step in and have a very big impact as a freshman. I mean, he could come Absolutely. in and be your wide receiver three, or maybe even your wide receiver two, depending on how the depth chart looks at that time, uh, depending how some other people plan, uh, pan out. But I really like him. I like his size. I think he could put some more actual meat and beef on him. But yeah. 6'4", 190 is a solid start. Obviously, um, everyone 
adds weight once you get to college. So it'll be interesting to see how that weight affects him. Um, and going through his scholarship list, I mean, there are some big name schools that Syracuse beat out here. Let me just give you some of the some of the big names. Arizona State offered him, Baylor offered him, Boston College and ACC foe also offered him a scholarship. And then you keep going down. Georgia Tech, Indiana, Kentucky, Penn State even offered this guy, UCF, USF, uh, Minnesota. He had interest in, he didn't get a formal offer, but West Virginia offered him. There's plenty of really big name schools that offered Gadsden. Um, and that just, that has to instill confidence. Even if you don't know what type of player he is right now, if you didn't watch his tape yet, just looking at, at his offer list, you got to understand that he's a, he's a good talent and he's going to be a big pickup for Syracuse. Well, I'll tell you what, for Orange fans, this is great news because Hopefully, you know, you've got this Syracuse 2021 recruiting class that's kind of coming up the ranks a little bit. A whole lot of three stars that are hopefully going to bring a lot of talent to this program and hopefully bring better classes in the future. I mean, you've got you've got some talented players coming into the Salt City this upcoming year, and hopefully it leads to something more for the Orange than just a couple successful seasons. So you add Aronde Gadsden the second, and again, Jaron May here with Matt Bonaparte on Fizz Radio breaking down the recruiting class of 2021 for Syracuse football. Um, but we just talked about Aronde Gadsden the second. He comes in um, and he committed earlier this week. Just a quick side note, his father did play in the NFL. He played his majority of his career with the Miami Dolphins. That's where Aronde and his family um, still are down there and where they live right now. Um, and then he also, his father won a Super Bowl with the Cowboys way back when. Um, so when you look at a, this class of 2021, a lot of talent, but if we just want to stick with the wide receivers, at least for now, there are five wide receivers in this class already, and a, quite a few of them can have immediate impacts. And the other name that comes right to my mind is Amari Hatcher. The three-star, 6'3", 175, pretty similar size, a little smaller than Aronde, but a guy that is quick and can add a new depth um, to this wide receiver group once he gets on campus. Absolutely. You talk about a guy that might need to put on a little bit of weight. He's only 175, but 6'3", again, two tall guys coming to this program. And you love to see that just from an athleticism point of view and, and hope that you can work on that and make those guys into strong athletes that can really become some of the best receivers in the country and restore Syracuse to some of its football greatness. I mean, this, this program hasn't been good as of late. I mean, I think that's that's clear to see for everybody. A really unsuccessful season last year and this season, is, it's been a little bit more of the same just through week one. This pit matchup not looking great. You're hoping these guys can come in, turn things around, and, and put Syracuse back on the map, per se. A lot of great recruits in the class of 2021. You're listening to Fizz Radio with Jaron May and Matt Bonaparte. We've talked about the wide receivers. Matt, let's talk about the guy who's going to be throwing it to him for the majority of their careers at Syracuse, Justin Lamsom. Uh, we've already talked about him on Fizz Radio, but he's worth talking about again because I personally think he is the second coming of Eric Dungy. He's an underrated guy coming out of high school, but he has a lot of upside. And when you look at his tape, you can see the fundamentals. You can see that he has pretty much the same frame and the same size as Dungy while he was at Syracuse. So if Lamsom maybe puts on just a couple more pounds, especially if he can add muscle instead of fat or flubber, whatever it may be, uh, he could easily be an Eric Dungy-esque player that 
can deliver in the pocket, can step back, can fire the ball across the middle, but also is athletic enough to be able to escape the pocket and make something out of plays when the pocket collapses and he can show off his speed and his legs. Well, this guy is just an absolute versatile athlete. That's what you're getting in this kid. He was actually an All-State safety early in his high school career before playing quarterback. He's an absolutely strong, fast dude, exactly what you want throwing the ball. And like you said, he's kind of the second coming of Dungy. He can run. He's tough. He's got that strong arm. And the biggest quality of Dungy that we'll, I guess we'll see that he has is that leadership. Nobody mm-hmm. led a team better than Eric Dungy. If Justin yeah, exactly. Lamson can bring that kind of thing to Syracuse, I think they'll be well on their way to another 10-win season, hopefully a bowl victory. And I, what I really like with Lamson is that he's going to come in and he's going to have one year under Tommy DeVito. So Tommy DeVito's took that red shirt year. That means that they're going to overlap by one season. And with that, you get to learn from an experience probably at that, well, not probably, definitely at that point, a a three-year starter. So you get to learn from Tommy DeVito. You get to learn all the mistakes that he has already made and learn from (laughs) them. You get to see the good things that Tommy DeVito does and take those into your arsenal. And then obviously with Dino Babers coaching quite a few established quarterbacks, whether it be Dungy, now DeVito's kind of getting there, but the big name is obviously Jimmy Garoppolo before he got to Syracuse. Dungy knows how to teach quarterbacks and with Justin Lampson coming in already a very solid talent and then you add him into the whole mix with uh with Dino Babers I think that's going to be a great marriage for them definitely something that could be incredible for Syracuse I mean it's hard to say what will end up happening I mean these three stars are always boomer bust kind of thing but if Lampson does pan out and and be the guy that uh, the scouts are saying that he could be. Syracuse is in a great spot right now. I mean, uh, they signed a, a ton of quarterbacks this last year. The guy from Connecticut, Dylan Markowitz, another guy. Yep. But for Lampson to come in and, and hopefully be that guy will be huge. Yeah, I mean, I think it's Lampson's job to lose. Um, obviously, that's kind of premature to say, but at least watching film and seeing what he has, I'm I'm really high on Lampson. So we've talked about Aronde Gadsden. Uh, the second, we've talked about Umari Hatcher, Justin Lamsom, the quarterback coming in in the class of 2021. You're listening to Fizz Radio with Jaron May and Matt Bonaparte. Matt, let's now switch over, stay with the offense, but talk about who's going to be protecting all these guys and making sure that, uh, well, Justin Lamsom stays upright. And let me tell you, I am s- probably the m- biggest reason why I'm so happy about this class of 2021 is because of the offensive line recruits. There are so many. Right now, already five committing to Syracuse. When you think about a normal recruiting year, if you can get two, three, four offensive linemen to commit in one year, that's like a success. To have five and have five quality guys that you could theoretically see step in immediately, uh, that's awesome. So Enrique Cruz is the highest rated, highest rated player out of all of them. Um, he committed a couple weeks ago in early September. He is a three-star. But then when you look down the list, there are plenty of other names on the offensive line. Kalen Ellis um, still going down. He's a three-star. And then Austin Kahua from Hawaii, another three-star. Wes Ho, um, a three-star. And then Tyler Magenson, uh, who's, again, a three-star. All of them are three-stars. I don't really need to, to explain that each time. But a lot of guys that can hopefully fix the issue that is the Syracuse offensive line. 
you know, I, you know how much I love talking about the Syracuse offensive <laughs> line and how garbage it is. But you know why I love Enrique Cruz, and hopefully I love him throughout his four years at Syracuse as well, and I'm not screaming on, uh, about him on Fizz Radio one day. But <laughs> the, the reason I love Enrique Cruz is because the guy's 6'5", 252, and I don't know if you've seen a picture of him, but it doesn't look like there's an ounce of fat on his body. The dude is built. He's he an absolute... Massive. He's, he's a Mack truck. Like, no one's getting <laughs> through that guy. And to put him on the edge is absolutely huge because you want an athlete on the edge, a guy that can move and make sure a defensive end, who are ultimately some of the best athletes on the field, can't just rush by you. So mm-hmm. to have Enrique Cruz on that side and hopefully Tyler Magnuson on the other side, another guy who's around the same weight, same kind of deal, another strong athletic guy, Syracuse could be crafting up a little bit of a strong offensive line, you know, obviously you're going to have to work on it. It's not going to work the, the first year. All four of those guys as freshmen aren't going to be playing, let alone starting. So you're going to have to work on it, let them get into the program, learn from a couple of the, the veterans on this team. But eventually I think Syracuse could really be looking at some hogs that are going to be protecting the quarterback at all costs and doing a really good job of it. Absolutely. A great offensive line, a couple great offensive line recruits in the class of 2021. And then just to top it all off, Deuce Chestnut on the defensive side of the ball. Right now, the Syracuse 2021 recruiting class is ranked 45th in the country. That's not perfect, but it's better than where it is. The last time Syracuse was at 45 or better was in 2007. So a long time coming. Syracuse putting together a great recruiting class and probably the best in Dino Baber's career so far in Syracuse. All right, you're listening to Fizz Radio with Jaron May and Matt Bonaparte. We're going to step aside. After the break, we'll talk with Alan Sanders, a beat reporter in Pittsburgh, to preview this upcoming weekend's game. Don't go anywhere. Fizz Radio will be right back. Back here on Fizz Radio with Jaron May and Matt Bonaparte. We just broke down the Syracuse recruiting class of 2021, and now we bring in Alan Saunders from Pittsburgh Sports Now to break down Pitt and the entire football team because Syracuse and Pitt are coming up this Saturday, uh, a noon o'clock tick, uh, kickoff. And, Alan, let's first kind of just get this out of the way. Uh, I think the big storyline going into this one is Pitt's defensive line against Syracuse's offensive line. When you look at that matchup between these two units, um, what do you think stands out the most uh, when it's Pitt's D-line and, again, Syracuse's offensive line? Well, I think Syracuse is going to have to prove they can protect the quarterback. I think when you look at what happened in the game last year, um, I think it was nine sacks for Pitt. I think when you look at what happened against North Carolina last week, uh, at some point, uh, if you want to have any success in the passing game, you got to be able to protect the quarterback. Um, it's not really that much different when you're talking about a 4-3 front for those four defensive linemen. They're playing the run on the way to the quarterback. So running the ball is not going to get it done. That's not going to slow those guys down. Um, you have to be able to stop them and protect the quarterback in order to get those those corners out of that press man coverage. I think that's how it all works together with Pitt. Uh, the defensive line is coming with pressure. The corners are going to be aggressive. If you do get time, I think Syracuse has the opportunity to hit some deep passes. I think even last year, I think there were some deep balls that maybe DeVito missed a little bit that, that could have been big plays. Um, 
they'll they'll be there if they can get time. If they can't get time, it it could be ugly again for for the Syracuse offense. I think just like it was last year. I, I think that was the the big part of it. And Pitt's defense is missing Jalen Twyman, defensive tackle, who uh, really wrecked things for Syracuse last year. But they've got. Uh, a couple players that they hope are back. I'm not sure if they're going to be back. Keyshawn Camp and Rashad Weaver, a couple of seniors that both missed last year with injury, are supposed to be back, but they were held out of the season opener against Austin P in COVID protocol. It's not looking like Weaver could be back, and it's pretty uncertain if Camp will be back. So a bit of a, um, a, fl- uh, a situation in flux on the pit defensive line. Could be some younger players in there that maybe Syracuse can take advantage of some inexperience. Uh, Haba Baldonado also was injured in that uh, opener against Austin P. So they could potentially be down as many as four guys. On the offensive side for the Panthers, Kenny Pickett returns for his third season as the, the pit starter. What kind of jump do you think he'll take this season? Well, there was a big jump from 2018 to 2019 in terms of passing yards. The 2018 pit offense was extremely run heavy. Last year, um, they, they brought in a new offensive coordinator in Mark Whipple, and they went to a much more balanced – they actually went – they had the largest change in uh, pass percentage of any team in Division One, including Georgia Tech, which went from the triple option to a regular offense. Pitt threw the ball – uh, at a greater rate in 19 than they did 18 than Georgia Tech did. Uh, and so a huge difference in that offense. And, and you saw it in the yards. If you look at Pickett's stats, I think he's number 11 in returning power five quarterbacks in terms of yards thrown uh, a year ago. The, where they were lacking was touchdowns. They had trouble when the field shrank and they got into the end zone. Pickett isn't the biggest guy, so sometimes he has trouble seeing over the line, and he has to try to find some uh, throwing lanes. And when the field gets collapsed, that can be a problem for him. They also really struggled at the tight end position last year. They used two or three guys. None of them really made much of an impact one way or the other, and they had a ton of drops. They've got Florida graduate transfer Lucas Krull in that spot. Now, he also did not play in the opener, but Pat Narduzzi said he was he had a minor injury and could have played. They just held him out because it was Austin P. and frankly, they didn't need him. They won 55 nothing with without a dozen guys. Uh, but I think so. To me, I think that's where the biggest opportunity for growth for Kenny Pickett is 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 finishing those drives in the end zone. I also think they have bigger playmakers. Kroll's one of them, a couple freshmen that really, really performed well in that opener, Jordan Addison and Jalen Barden, a couple two really fast freshman wide receivers that have the opportunity to give them, give them some of those big plays where it's not Pickett sustaining these long drives. They can have the quick strike ability that I don't think they showed last year. I think if they can add those two things, he's still going to throw for a lot of yards. He threw for a lot of yards last year, but I think the the biggest thing is he wants more touchdown passes than he had in 2019. Jaron May here with Matt Bonaparte, and now we are joined by Alan Sanders of Pittsburgh Sports Now. And, Alan, I just saw an article that you just posted, and Pittsburgh is going with Vincent Davis at the starting running back position this weekend against Syracuse. For some of the Syracuse fans that are listening right now, what does he bring to the table, and why do you think that the Panthers went with him for RB1? elusiveness is the thing that he brings to the table. He's extremely hard to bring down. He is not the biggest guy. He might be the smallest guy of Pitt's five running backs uh, on scholarship. And they all five played, and all five played fairly well against um, Austin P. But I think Vincent Davis gets the starting nod because he shows 
the ability to extend a play beyond where it belongs. You know, I think most of Pitt's running backs, um, it, you know, if, if the play is designed to be blocked in a certain way and the offensive line does a pretty good job, they'll do okay. I think Vincent Davis is the guy that has the most potential to, to succeed above and beyond that. You know, guy gets free in the backfield. He can make him miss. Um, he can also beat people to the corner and run away in open field. And so I think he has the best combination of he understands the offense. He played a lot as a freshman last year, but now he's a sophomore. I think that's a big jump uh, from a guy that came in in June, wasn't an early enrollee, you know, really deer in the headlights at the beginning of the year last year to now I think he has a much greater understanding of the offense of what he's being asked to do at this level. And he's just very physically gifted, uh, very fast. And, and really, I think the, the biggest thing is extremely hard to get clean hits on. For a little guy, you, you think you'd be worried about it getting banged up, but not too many players get clean shots on him. He, he's extremely elusive, and I think that makes him the best of the bunch when it comes to an every down back. But Pitt certainly has lots of guys that can be specialists. Israel Abanaconda is a true freshman out of Brooklyn, uh, was a track star, and has absolutely game-breaking speed. And Daniel Carter – uh, is a sophomore from actually, was a, I believe he's a redshirt freshman. I believe he redshirted, played the four games last year uh, out of Florida, who looks like he could play defensive line. He is just a massive, massive guy at running back. And then AJ Davis and Todd Sibley are some veteran upperclassmen with a ton of experience. They're good pass blockers. So I think they'll use a number of those guys. I don't think Vincent Davis starting means that the other guys aren't going to play, but I, I think he has some of the probably the, the traits that, that nobody else has are that escapability and the, and the ability to take a play that was maybe only deserved to get a few yards by the way Pitt blocked it and turn it into something special. Mm-hmm. So the Panthers come into this season unranked. Now after a week one victory, ranked number 25 in the country. What's your feeling on how far these guys can actually go? You know, I wrote in my preseason prediction that – the only thing that's going to hold this team back is consistency. I think this is the most talented pit team top to bottom that Pat Narduzzi has had. Um, when I look at the rest of the conference, really to me, the only team that, that is just going to totally outclass them on the field is Clemson. I think every other team they can play with, how many of them they beat will just, it'll come down to consistency. They've not been that, you know, that, that has been the inconsistency has been one of their hallmarks under Narduzzi. They have these incredible wins. They, they beat um, Miami when they were number two, when Pitt was in the middle of a terrible season and, and, and ruined things for Miami. They beat Clemson at Clemson, the last team to do so. Uh, and back in 2016, they beat UCF last year when they were number 15 on that trick play at the end of the game. So they have these great uh, high highs. They uh, upset Penn State at, at home and in 2016 kept, Penn State out of the college football playoff. Really good wins over really good teams. And they also lost to Boston College at home last year. They had trouble with Eastern Michigan in a bowl game. They've had trouble with FCS teams in the past. I think it's all about consistency. If they play up to their talent level on a game-in and game-out basis throughout the entire season, I think they have an outside chance of making it to the ACC championship game. And if they don't, they'll be in this large group of above average ACC teams like Miami and Florida State and Louisville and Virginia Tech that we're not really sure how good they are. They might be good. They might not be. And uh, it'll just see how things shake out. Uh, Alan Sanders joining us here on Fizz Radio from Pittsburgh Sports Now. Alan, before we go, I'm going to need a game prediction, the score and and your key to the game for the Pitt 
uh, Panthers. Game prediction. Um, you know, I think the the key to the game. I'll, I'll give it in the opposite order. I think the key to the game for Pitt is uh, establishing a running game. The Syracuse offense is. We, we sort of broke down the big problem that the Syracuse offense has with Pitt's defense, but the Syracuse offense can also give Pitt's defense problems um, with, with the tempo that they have mm-hmm. and just the, the way they like to spread it out with the four and five wide receivers. And, and really it's a, it's a bad stylistic matchup for Pitt at times, although their defensive line did dominate last year. I, I think Pitt, Pitt, Pitt has to have a running game. I think that makes Vincent Davis – really important that they have to keep that Syracuse offense off the field. Pitt doesn't want to get into another 70 something to 60 something kind of track meet. Um, if they can get a running game and limit the total number of possessions, I think their offense can be really efficient on their possessions and score more often than not against Syracuse defense. Uh, so in a, in a lower possession game, I'll go a little lower scoring. I'll say uh, 28-17 Pitt. I think Syracuse is – I think the, if you're looking at the line, I think it's a little bit out of whack. Syracuse is not as bad as they showed. Uh, that's another thing. Poor showing for Syracuse in that first game. But I think going on the road in week one in the middle of a pandemic is a pretty tough ask of any team. I think Syracuse is going to be a lot better than they showed in that first week going forward this season. That's Alan Sanders of Pittsburgh Sports. Now go follow him on Twitter at Sanders underscore PGH. Alan, thanks so much for taking the time. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Coming up on the other side, we have your Fizz feedback. Don't go anywhere. Closing up shop here on Fizz Radio. You're alongside Jaron May and Matt Bonaparte. We've talked about the past when Syracuse got blown out by North Carolina. We've talked about the recruiting class of 2021. And, of course, we've talked with Alan Sanders about uh, this upcoming Pittsburgh game this Saturday. Matt, let's, uh, let's break it down and let's get to our favorite part of the show and that's Fizz Feedback. So these are the polls that we put out on Twitter. You can go follow us at Orange Fizz. Every week we post three uh, three polls, basically, and it's whatever we really want. And then we read it out here, and we see what the people are thinking about for Syracuse sports. So our first Fizz Feedback, what was Syracuse's biggest weakness against North Carolina? The options, offensive line, running backs, quarterback play, and then other, and you could comment below. So, Matt, uh, I'll let you take the floor. Which do you think was their biggest weakness? So, for me, it comes down to whether or not those seven sacks are on the offensive line or on Tommy DeVito's poor pocket awareness. Because at the end of the day, I think that it was, you know, bad quarterback play that ended up dooming the orange but Mm -hmm. at the same time that could be due to the offensive line but the reason I will say that it's due to the offensive line is because the running backs had such a hard time Jawar Jordan had 1.9 yards per carry on 14 carries he was absolutely abysmal just a non-factor in the game so I'm going to say that it was the offensive line's fault you know you have Aaron Service on that edge everyone was talking about are they going to come out you have Aaron Service on the edge they did that end of last season got a couple wins no no didn't happen Carlos (laughs) Vettorel no no Carlos (laughs) Vettorel got his first sack of the season he bumped right into Tommy DeVito took them down so you know <laughs> this offensive line's got a wreath learn i don't know if it's rust but they're terrible an offensive lineman getting a sack that's not something that you hear every day um listen i the running backs play horrible the quarterbacks play 
horrible, but you want to know why? It's because of the offensive line. It all starts there. I voted offensive line. The general public did as well. 51% of the vote goes to the offensive line. And then, of course, we have some comments, and we always love to read them out from Jersey Todd. He says, all of the above. I agree with you, Todd. They are all pretty bad, uh, but I think it all starts with the offensive line. And then Tom Henry, he says, the biggest weakness was play calling. They didn't give the offense a chance to move the ball with small running backs up the middle in 30 to 50 50-yard throws. Our quarterback needs screens, short crossing routes, tight end passes to stay off his back when the defense is stacking the box. Tom, what I do mean, you want? They they opted out. That's true. I, I can't help you, buddy. <laughs> I mean, he hit the nail on the head. I mean, he's not wrong that they should be doing those things. And I think the play calling was an issue against North Carolina, especially in the red zone. They left a lot of points on the board. Um, but you're right. I mean, number Running back one and running back two are not on the roster anymore. I mean, Chris Elmore so can't play every position. <laughs> I, I would not want to see him at running back. Let's be honest. All right, <laughs> moving on to our next biz feedback. After most recently, Aronde uh, Gadsden committed to Syracuse. Where do you think the recruiting class of 2021 uh, ranks among Dino Babers Syracuse's classes so far? Best, second best, third best, fourth best. Uh, Matt, I went with best. What did you go with? I think I'll have to say best as well, just because I'm being optimistic. I think that Dino and the the scouting group has done a pretty good job of putting this one together, and I think that this is their chance at redeeming themselves after a, a bad season last year and quite uh, quite possibly another one this year. So mm-hmm. I think going forward, this could be the class that saves Dino. Yeah, and I think that they really addressed the things that they needed to. Now, these all of these players just could fizzle out and not turn into what we're hoping they are, but they really addressed what they needed. So you're going to lose a couple people in the secondary. You pick up Deuce Chestnut. Your offensive line stinks. You have five offensive linemen in this recruiting class. Tommy DeVito is going to be gone soon. You pick up Justin Lampson to fill a spot. The wide receiver core is just not where it should be, and you get quite a few talented players at that position. So they addressed what they needed to. I really like it. I think it's the best, and really the stats speak for themselves. 45 in the country. That's the best since 2007. The general public also went with best. 81% of the vote going there. Uh, Matt, let's wrap it up here. Last Fizz feedback. What Pittsburgh positional unit are you most worried about heading into Saturday's game? Pitt defensive line, Pitt secondary, Pitt QB, which is Kenny Pickett, or the Pitt running backs? Matt, what you get? Well, this Pitt defense is absolutely incredible, one of the best in the country. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this Pitt defensive line is the reason why. I mean, I, I, if you if you had a, a hard time against UNC protecting the quarterback, I don't think that they're going to fare very well against this Pitt defense. I mean, this defensive line is stacked. They're going to destroy Tommy, and this offensive line is going to have to relearn how to walk. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I love that. Yes, it's going to be the defensive line. Because they were third best in the entire FBS last year in sacks per game, 3.8. Syracuse led up seven against North Carolina last week. What do you think they're going to do this week when Pitt lines up across from them and has some of the best edge rushers and interior defensive linemen in the entire country? One of the best units in the ACC, if not the entire FBS. I go Pitt defensive line. The general public did as well. 80% of the vote goes there. 
All right, great way to wrap it up here on Fizz Radio. Matt Bonaparte and Jaron May spending your Saturday morning with you. Thanks so much for tuning in. We'll see you next time. Make sure you go check out all of our content on our website, orangefizz.net, and follow us on Twitter at orangefizz. But again, Jaron May and Matt Bonaparte signing off. We'll see you next time.